If you're into designer furniture and you want the sofa that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because Designer Looks Furniture has all the same styles and trends and all the quality, but without the designer prices. Check them out. Designer Looks at Value City Furniture or designerlooks.com. Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that... That's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton. How did we become Central Ohio's most trusted team of orthopedic experts? We focus on what matters most, our patients. At Orthopedic One, we know we're only at our best when we're helping you get better. And every day, your commitment to overcoming pain and injury inspires and moves us. That's why we bring our best every day to earn your trust. Find a physician near you at orthopedicone.com. From coast to coast, border to border, and around the world, you're going online with Bill Alexander. Online with Bill Alexander is a guest-driven program where the topics are diverse and entertaining. Laugh and learn while you listen to one of the best hours of online radio around. Online with Bill Alexander. Hi, everyone. Yours truly, William Eric Alexander. All my friends call me Bill, and you're online with Bill Alexander here at WMCK.FM. Fayette TV, Channel 77, and finally on CUTV California. Went back to where it all started, I guess. But anyhow, we're streaming live on iTalknet here at the Phil Giannetti Motor Studios, high atop High Street in Brownsville, Pennsylvania. If you're looking for a quality pre-owned vehicle, give Chip a call at 724-785-6800 or stop by his website, PhilGiannettiMotors.com. Hope everything's going fine for you on this wonderful day and hope you're enjoying your morning, your afternoon, or your evening, depending on what time you're listening, watching, or uh, streaming us, I guess. Anyhow, yours truly with you on a uh, great day. And on the phone line, we're going to be talking to another author that we've talked to quite a few recently, but this one is actually in the area, <laughs> which makes it unique. And I actually... Uh, I've uh, talked to her earlier today, and I actually am watching her right now on FaceTime because she wanted to be able to see me as she talked because she said she'd be more comfortable, which is fine. But before I introduce who she is, I want to read the dedication of her book, The Butter Knife Theory. This book is written for every young person who has ever struggled to find answers. Please accept that the butter knife theory is merely a set of simple suggestions meant to make you feel better and may, meant to make you feel loved. By no means am I suggesting that anything herein is a cure-all for any problem. Sometimes you just need a solid friend in times of need. On the phone right now, we have Dr. Karen Kromchak. Dr. Karen, how are you doing? Hi, Bill. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for FaceTiming. It's going to be fun. <laughs> well, that's that's good. Unfortunately, my audience that's watching live stream right now can't see you, but I can. So I guess that's half the battle right there. So you wrote a book. Why did you write the book, The Butter Knife Theory? Okay, so this is a long story, so you're going to have to bear with I, me. I'm, I'm here to listen. <laughs> but years of education, and I feel like I'm wearing this hat all the time that says, can I help you or come to me for help? Because okay. although I'm an English teacher, it seems to me that 
I have students that come to me all the time and ask for help with personal problems. So those things have been adding up and adding up. And oddly enough, I would just jot it down once in a while, the problem and how my response to the problem. Okay. So that was kind of always in the back of my desk. And then um, moved on and I got my doctorate degree and I started giving some leadership seminars across southwestern Pennsylvania. So personal development, leadership, that type of thing. And one particular one at Robert Morris University, I had several students there and I thought it went really, really well. It was called Traits of the Greats and I told them all kind of amazing things that Mother Teresa would tell you to do or Muhammad Ali and you know, and I thought, oh, they're all inspired, this is wonderful. And two girls stopped me on the way out and they said, it's really nice that you tell me these great things to do, but it doesn't help me because I just can't get off the couch. <laughs> I just can't get motivated. And I don't know why, Bill, that stuck with me. Just that statement, I can't get off the couch. I can't get motivated. Okay. So fast forward to, um, you know, a little over a year ago. I'm sitting on my couch thinking about student problems and okay. uh, I can't get motivated. <laughs> and I, reali I realized that I had a problem that I couldn't get motivated either. And I was looking at the kitchen and it had a big stack of dishes. And I thought, I don't, there's nothing about me that wants to do those dishes right now. How am I going to force myself to do this? And you said you, um, you know, kind of had some experience with counseling yes. and psychology, right? Yes. So I started thinking about what is going on in my brain psychologically. And I thought, oh, I know. <laughs> I thought when, when I'm faced with a tough task or something that's challenging, I don't know this to be true, but it would be my guess that biologically that there's this little protection mode in my brain. And I think of it like a, a almost like a clear force field, right? Okay. That says, don't do that and, and kind of holds you back. And it's the same little force field that would hold you back from jumping off a cliff or touching a fire. Okay. <laughs> but I feel like when we don't want to do something, that field goes up in front of us. Okay. okay. So... I thought to myself, what if I just took one action directly into that field? Like, I don't want to do the dishes, so I'll go wash one butter knife and just to see psychologically what would happen to my own brain. Okay. And what do you think happened? You, when I washed you actually washed <laughs> another piece of, uh, of dishware. Exactly. Uh, the reason exactly. is uh, it's on page 13 of the book and I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah. And I still, I can't say that I was still happy about doing the dishes, but I think what happened uh, to me was my brain thought, oh, okay, this isn't so bad. This isn't going to harm you. I shall remove this force field. Okay. So then I was able to wash the rest of the dishes and it wasn't a problem. And the more I thought about it, I thought with most problems, um, if you just took one step into them, I don't know that it removes the force field or whatever that is that's unnamed, but it kind of, it just makes it easier to go with emotion or flow of things. If we can get ourselves to do the one item, it just doesn't seem that unbearable and our brain says, okay, go with it. Which makes a lot of sense because you always have to take that first step before you can go forward. And this butter knife, as you say, was your first step forward. And I think there's another way of thinking it too. Not only did you, was that the first thing moving through, that was your way of cutting through whatever that problem was by using that butter knife. 
Absolutely. Because, so it's a, it's a good it's it's reality and it's a metaphor, right? Because again, a butter knife isn't going to cut through anything that's very difficult, but it will cut through butter, and that's basically Ooh. what this wall was that you built was something that yeah. wasn't very big or thick, but it was just enough to hold you back. And the more I read the book, I'm going, "Hey, this makes a lot of sense." Because you're using it in you're you're putting it in terms that everybody understands, and as you said before, the two young ladies that said they were they spoke to you about um, about getting off the couch. One thing we hear we hear wonderful, great motivational speakers. We hear the rah rah. We hear all this, but what happens whenever they leave? It right. just goes away. We have no tools to move on, and this right here is a tool to help us move on. Yeah, it's very simple. I, I even call it kind of rudimentary and basic, but um, I can't tell you how many kids or even young adults have come up to me and said, you know, I didn't want to do something, but I thought of that butter knife, yeah. <laughs> that darn butter knife, and I forced myself to do the one thing, and that gave me enough momentum. Right, and the, and the so, other thing you say in the book, too, is it's one way of remembering BKT is breaking through with the capital B, the capital K, and the capital T because it's moving forward and this being a great book especially for for um older teens and um early 20s because they're making changes in their lives that they've never done before absolutely and yet they there's probably there are people there to help them but they have to take that first step to be right. able to move forward like being for example 16 years old and, and deciding if you want a driver's license or not I know kids that jump forward, they want it, they're ready for it at the age of 13, and I know 18 and 19-year-olds that want nothing to do with it because they're afraid of taking that first step. It's it's completely a different world. I'm sure that you're noticing that, um, and I don't know if it's technology or, or what's happening, but it, it does seem that there's um, a bit of a social differentiation between when we were you know, teenagers. Right? I know. I, I know. It was a long time ago when I was a teenager. I won't ask you how long it was for you. <laughs> well, it was a long time ago for me too, Bill. <laughs> so I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. But um, what I think is interesting, you bring in the whole the whole um, technology aspect of it. A lot of these individuals, and I, again, I'm going to say, under the age of thirty, have a problem doing these things because they see everybody's perfect life online and they're afraid that if they do something and they do it wrong it's going to be broadcast by the world and the world's going to see it and i think that's one of the reasons why those two young ladies were on the couch is it's not that they were they were apprehensive about doing it they just didn't want anybody else to see them do it absolutely yeah there's a lot of fear and i think you just you just gave me new perspective on my book, so I thank you for that. <laughs> when you said, and I never thought of cutting through the butter. I mean, how logical is that? And that it should go through that very easily. If yeah, you have to give yourself that one task that you can approach very easily, so that you can kind of overcome the biology in your brain. Yeah. <laughs> well, and and yeah. So the, one of the things, um, <clears throat> excuse me. It, it says, the challenge, my thoughts are overwhelming. Lesson, we must remember how to focus outside of the barrage of information. Uh, BKT, how, how's your brain and yourself in a duplex? Uh, my guess is that most of us can relate to that. And then you start breaking it down how if you take one task at hand, you can do it. A kid has a test tomorrow. Has the first? He has multiple tests. Well, what's that first test you have at 8 a.m.? 
If you get yes. through that test, then you can get through the next one instead of trying to 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 overwhelm yourself with the, all the multiple tasks of the day. It's much easier just to do one task at a time. And I don't think young people are able to see that because they see they, they see a very, uh, very intimidating picture in front of them and they don't see what's happening down the road. I completely agree. Uh, it just it, and it does seem overwhelming. And I I think I'm a very visual person okay. uh, too. And I put a couple of pictures in the book. And one of the pictures I put was kind of a gnarled branches. And I said that's kind of how my brain feels. Or and then when I talked about focusing on that one thing, I put a picture of a plasma ball. And we, we've all seen those at right. Spencer's or wherever. And you put your finger on it. If you can just focus on the one thing, put your finger on it. <laughs> pick up the butter knife. It it draws that energy to you. I think you, it, it helps. So with what you do on a daily basis, just getting out of bed, you talked about this meditation you do before you get up, mm -hmm. the, the quiet time, and, and, and you possibly could do it before you go to sleep. What is that all about? Oh, you know what? Thank you for asking that because I'm telling you, if I don't do that, I, my day is different. And I've always heard about people meditating. And matter of fact, I was listening to a couple of your talk shows. Okay. And people get really in depth about, yeah, <laughs> about their meditations. And not only that, when they talk about their meditation, it confuses me because I can't relate to that. I completely agree. And they're talking about other worlds and other beings. And you heard you know, the program. To... You heard the recent one I did with I Brad did. Johnson. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But I, I can't relate. So I thought I want to make meditation easy and non-intimidating. Okay. So it does seem, you know, I don't know about you, but I have tried to kind of sit with my legs crossed and just kind of sit and close my eyes and be quiet. And for some reason, that just is really different. That doesn't work for me. So, well, it didn't until I started training myself, like when I would go to bed and when I would wake up. Okay. Um because those are probably the most relaxed my brain times for my brain. So right when your alarm goes off, don't you immediately want to go right back to sleep? But for the most part, yes. Yeah, <laughs> I do. But sometimes my, I, my alarm goes off and then I start thinking my brain's moving already. So um, in the morning, I just lay there and I picture all of the energy of the earth and the universe. It's okay. kind of like coming through me and going um in up, up through my body and out and all around i'm just visualizing that but why i'm doing that is i'm convincing my brain that everything that's happening is happening for me okay so i think it's going to be a good day because i think that life is happening for me and it takes what 20 seconds to think that and then um something i read about going to bed and meditating mm-hmm uh, just recently that helped me a lot. And I, everyone reads so much about gratitude. You've probably had shows on gratitude, haven't right, you? Yes, I've had a couple. Okay. Anyway, when I go to bed, I just, as I lay there and close, close my eyes, I think of the three best things that happened to me during the day. Okay. But what happens is because you're thinking of all the things, the good things that happened to you in the day, then you're focus, you go to bed focusing on good things, right? Which makes sense, yeah. Yeah, so then I feel like you wake up in a better frame of mind because you went to bed with your brain on good things. So those are a couple of like 10-second meditations to just 
pivotal in my life. Okay. Now you, you talk about the meditation and, and what about if you're an individual when you go to bed and you finally calm down and then all these thoughts rush into your head, how do you eliminate those or just focus on one? Cause I'm one of those individuals where all this stuff happens and I get overwhelmed and then I fall, I fall asleep because I can't just think of one thing. I think okay. of everything I have to do tomorrow, what what problems I have to solve, what chores I have to do, what phone calls I have to make. I don't just think about one positive thing. Okay. Well, um, my answer to that is twofold. If I'm ever completely overwhelmed where it's just really bad, I write it all down. And there's something, I believe, almost dimensional, like just it, you unpack your brain and take it out of your brain. Okay. And that's logical. But the biggest tip I can give is if you lay there, close your eyes, and I'm telling you, try this tonight, please. I will. Picture a, a pretty blue summer sky and picture a cloud up in the sky. Okay. Just a nice, soft, soft white, fluffy cloud. And picture all of those things that you would have written on the paper going up and into the cloud, okay? Okay. Now picture the cloud slowly dissipating across the sky. I don't know why that works. Okay. <laughs> it, it does. It, there's something that relaxes your brain at the moment that you picture that cloud breaking mm -hmm. up and moving across the sky. So it helps me sleep every time. Now, okay, so now we go to bed. How do you how do you just think of one thing in the morning once that alarm goes off without the whole world rushing in after you wake up? I know. I know. That's a real tough one. <laughs> um, the whole world is going to rush in, but you just have to tell yourself. You know what? I, I don't think I said this in the book. OK, but sometimes it happens to me too, where you just get so much. You think you're driving to work thinking I have a hundred things to do before 10 AM. I don't know what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. Right. And it all seems too much at those times. This my little secret thing is it's awful, but I saw a picture of someone that was in the Holocaust and it was a man holding the hand of a little boy, you know, by the fence. It's probably okay. the classic picture. We've all seen it. And just staring out with those hollow eyes. Mm -hmm. And it, that picture had such an impact on me that whenever I think, like, I am so completely overwhelmed, I can't handle this, I think I can, that person was handling that. I can handle these hundred things. Right. So what I'm going to do is when I get to work, and then I just think when I get to work, I'm going to do these two things. I'm just going to start here. And if the rest of the things don't get done, guess what? <laughs> Nothing's going to happen. Now, you say whenever um, it, you, you mentioned earlier that you teach and you work with high school students. Do you ever get wrapped up in their problems trying to help them solve them? Or do you give them this principle to say, here, this is what you need to do to move on. This is what you need to get through the next five minutes, the next 10 minutes, the next 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That is what I do. It is so difficult not to get wrapped up. But I realize that I can't, like I said, I can't be the cure-all. Right. I think of it, I drew a chart one time um, because the guys especially like to see <laughs> yeah, the visual. Yeah. yeah, they like to see the visual of the chart. And I put um, a line across the middle that would indicate uh, feeling happy, right? Okay. Just doing okay. And when you're having a big problem or these students are coming to me with a crisis, 
I feel like it's like that line diving way down beneath happy, going down, going down, you're spiraling, right? And most people will spiral for a while and then they kind of level off again, but then they're functioning somewhere way below happy. Okay. Correct? Yeah. So what I want to do is stop the spiral. I want to, as they're starting to go downhill, I want to give them the tools to turn that around. And that's kind of why I say, you know, I want to subtitle my book, Find Your Light. I almost feel like you're drowning in a dark pool of water. Okay. You want to be able to turn and see that there's light. That's that's what I want to do for them. Okay. And that, and that makes a lot of sense because listening to you, and again, as I mentioned, the motivational speaker and everything else, you're actually able to relate to your audience because you've dealt with different ages and you understand how they're dealing with things. I've yes. se- Like I said before, I've seen them where they come out, they do the rah-rah, they do all this, and then they leave and they give no tools. And, right. and listening to you and reading the book as much as I got through so far, you're giving the individual tools to be able to deal with these stressors and be able to, to deal with it. Now, when you wrote the book, were you looking at a certain age group that you're writing it for? I, I wasn't really, no. I, and I, it seems to me that the age group that seems to like what I'm doing would be 14 through 19, 20. Okay. Um, and probably because I feel like, yes, as they're starting to, come of age per se and and starting to get to a point that they're feeling a little bit more like an adult they start to think about these things and and they're starting to face these uh, mental challenges or physical challenges and that's when they kind of need and a lot of the kids too because at that pivotal teenage is when they're trying to get their independence from their parents right so they don't want to go to them with their emotional problems correct yes (laughs) yeah and, and a friend isn't always going to help a whole lot. And I tell you who helped me. Well, I, I'd i be amazed if you knew him, but there was a principal. His name was Joe Fodor. Anyway, um, he was like 85 years old. He used to be my neighbor. Okay. And he, um, whenever I would tell him I'm having a problem, I was maybe 20 years old, he would always just tell me a story about himself. So I always felt like, I, I appreciated that because I felt like it wasn't saying you need to go over and do this. He, he would say, well, here's what I did or here's something that happened to me. Okay. So that's, I approached the book that way because of him. So he was relating his life to yours to help you make it through yours. Yeah. He was, he would just tell me. Uh, so I'd say, um, I, you know, one time a student made me really angry or something like that. Right. <laughs> and, and, and he'd say, oh, well, I remember one time a student crawled under the desk and here's what I did, <laughs> you know, but he would never say, well, here's what you need to do. You okay. Know? <laughs> okay. So actually, so what I'm hearing is that he would give you uh, his situation and then it would help you make the rationalization or what you had to do to solve it just by the way he told you what happened to him. Yeah. Just from the story. Okay. Absolutely. Which, which, yeah. which is a great way of teaching. How long did it take you to write this book? Too long. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I finished my uh, doctorate degree later in life and not that much later, but go ahead. Okay. Okay. <laughs> anyway, and probably about three years, but I feel like now the consecutive books, I want to turn this into a series. Okay. The con- now that I understand the process and what I need to do, 
I think I could probably write a book every six months if I wanted oh, to. Oh, really? Yeah. It just took a long time because I was writing little bits and pieces. And I remember a point in time where I just printed everything out and laid it all across the floor and just stood there and stared at it and thought, what is this saying to me? Right. <laughs> you know, what am I, what can I share with others or how can I help people? And, you know, that's something that I want to feel like I've done in my life is helped kids. So the audience understands, I actually have a copy of the manuscript. The book has not been pub published as of yet. When is the the published target date? The target date for publishing is December 1st, so that should be easy to remember and out for Christmas. Okay. So that would be wonderful. And where are they going to be able to get it from? You should be able to get it on Amazon initially and Barnes and Nobles. You can check on some, oh, some really? of the local bookstores like Books a Million. Oh, okay. That's yeah. that's great. So when you when you wrote this book, did you pattern it after anything else you read or another type of author? Or was this your own style in itself by the way you're presenting this? Because you being an educator, you've read a lot. And you've gone through a bachelor's, a master's, and a doctorate program. You've read a lot of information. Has anybody stuck out to you? Yeah. Um, well, I'm kind of like a self-help guru. I think that I think we all, none of us escape childhood unscathed. Put it that <laughs> way. Yeah. So I was always trying to help myself. So I was reading everything, and that's why books became important to me. But um, Anthony Robbins. Okay. And I liked him because he gave actual physical moves, actual action steps, literal things that you could do. And then I started reading um, some of the other people, like Stephen Covey, this, you know, seven mm -hmm. steps. And then I would read um, Gabby Bernstein, Eckhart Tolle, um, where they would talk about the spiritual aspect of handling your life. And it, I thought to myself, I don't feel like anyone ever says, but you need both. Like Forrest Gump, I think right. you got to have. You, you need both. You need the spiritual aspect, and you have to take action steps. I I feel like so many people think, well, if I just have the right thoughts, or if I do these positive mantras every day, everything's uh -huh. going to come to me. And I kind of want them to know that that's, that's that's not enough, you know. And then I think some others think, well, if I just do these actions but I'm not worried about the um, other people or my spirit or my soul and trying to do, do everything right, that things will work out. I don't really think that works out either. So I think you need to take action and take care of your soul too. Uh, you mentioned Stephen Covey's name. He actually spoke at my commencement um, <gasps> many, many, many years ago in California. So I do know he, who he is, um, uh -huh. which is quite interesting. In the book itself, is there any part of the book that you're, I mean, you're more proud of than other parts, or are you just proud of the whole thing? Um, I know a part that I'm less proud of. <laughs> well, don't tell me that one. We'll let the audience figure that one out. Okay. Now, I will say that it, I feel like it starts off kind of slowly, maybe even kind of during this interview, because people really aren't sure where I'm going with okay. the quote, butter knife theory. What the heck is that? Right. right. So it, it takes a while for you to think, well, could this actually be something of merit? So I think towards the middle of the book, you start thinking, wow, there's some substance to what right. she's saying. And, and I get it. Um, also, it seems to me that, uh, you know, I get comments, particularly on a couple uh, pieces. And one is um, relationships. Okay. 
um, people are asking how, why am I always in this bad relationship or why can't I give this bad relationship up? Ah. Um, so I talked about that a little bit and then I'm trying to think of the other part that they come to me with. What were you going to say? No, go ahead. I was, I'm just listening. I'm, 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 I'm focused on everything you're saying right now because I find that interesting that it's a book dealing with individuals and I wouldn't think relationships would be a big part of it, but then thinking a little bit more, I can go, wait a minute, that our interactions with people are just important with, with each other is as important as dealing with ourselves. So that does make a lot of sense. Yeah, actually, you just reminded me of the other thing you're okay. coming to me with is I don't have any true friends. Like, I come ah. here, I put a smile on every day. Gotcha. I, I play the game, mm-hmm. but people don't, I don't think that people actually like me or people don't actually ah. come to me. So, you know, I don't know how to handle that situation. So, um, you know, I talk about self love there and getting to know and respect yourself. Okay. And, yeah. So, you heard the interview that I recently did with Brad Johnson. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about self-love mm-hmm. and the, the, the spirit from within. What is your definition of self-love? Because there's a lot of them out there. Oh, wow. <laughs> I know. I, I'm putting you on the spot because I didn't no, expect to go okay. this way. But since you listened to that, I, I'm kind of curious where you fall on that spectrum. Um, I think... You have to have self-respect, obviously, okay. but I, I think you have to have a clear conscience to feel good about who you are. And um, I, here's what I, I think. No one actually knows what's going on in your brain. Okay. Right. We only know what's happening in our conscience and who we are and the decisions that we make. Right. And it's the little you know, speaking of the butter knife or the one step, but it's a little one second pivots. I did mention this in the book that they almost start to determine who we are or we give ourselves value. Um, you know, I gave an example. I said there was, you know, I was teaching at a different school years back and um, there was someone in the hall that just other people just kind of tended to make fun of. Okay. And so it was um, just a common thing to do for people to say, Oh, that person, blah, 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 you know? And I passed them in the hallway and I turned the corner and there was a group of my peers there, you know, kind of just laughing and gossiping. And I just was so tempted to just turn that corner and sit down and start making fun of the person that I passed in the hall because Mm -hmm. That was the norm. That was the thing to do. Right. Right. You wanted to feel accepted. So you were going I to do what they did. I wanted to feel accepted. Right. So in that, in one second, in a one second space of time, I thought, you know what? I No, that's not right. I'm going to choose to not do that. Even if it makes me have nothing to say to be in conversation with this crew. Okay. And I feel like that kind of fills up your cup per se. Like you start feeling like, I don't know if that's what grace is, but you're right. <laughs> and I'm not even this, you know, kind of, I, I don't preach about religion. I feel mm-hmm. like I'm very non-denominational, Okay. but I do feel like you get something when you make the right decisions, but the, but those little one second right decisions only, you know, okay. So that's where self-love starts. That's the seed. Okay. Well, that <laughs> makes sense. You're listening to WMCK.FM, also watching us on Fayette TV Channel 77 and now on CUTV. And we're also streaming live at italknet.com. 
Um, as you're as you're talking about this and as as you're doing this, um, what what gives you the confidence to be able to write a book like this and have people come to you to ask questions about it? Uh, <laughs> well, I don't, it, as I said in the beginning, I, I don't feel like I have all the answers, but I, what I do feel like I have is this huge heart full of love for all people. Okay. I, I feel like there has never been a person that I couldn't genuinely find some good in that person. I, I feel that about everyone. So, and then I feel like I'm a highly educated person. Um, you know, as far as my degrees. Right. And then, you know, we're very much self-taught as far as self-help. And then years and years, I've been in 20 years, I've been in education and leadership and speaking and, you know, colleges and high schools. And it's just been my life. So I feel like I do have some credibility, in, okay. you know, and in, in helping a little bit. Right. Again, even if I'm just stopping the spiral. Okay, and that and that makes a lot of sense because, as you said, because there's a lot of people out there claiming to be experts, yeah, in this field. And as and I and I've said this before, I don't think anybody can be an expert on everything. No way. <laughs> they can only be an expert of what they're able to talk about, or they are able to relate to, or that they have the educational training in, that they're right. able to pass on to somebody else so there's no real true expert in everything and that's why in the guests that i've had in the past they come off to me as this is the be all to end all <laughs> you're coming yeah. off to me as yeah. someone going i know my limitations i know what i can do and i'm going to do whatever i can to help these individuals that are reading the books with my stories that they can relate to i really appreciate that comment and I, and I, th I think that's very important because the other thing you made, which I think is very interesting, you're right. None of us, especially at my age, have made it through a childhood unscathed. There's always right. been situations. But yeah. how do you go through a childhood where you've had problems or difficulties and how do you raise children so they don't have the same problems or the same difficulties or make the same mistakes your parents did? Wow, that's a tough one. I, I don't, you know, I think that we're doing it okay. right now. I think that you have to have open and honest conversation and be genuine and sincere uh, about the problems that we've encountered in our lives okay. and how we've handled them, right? Now, have have your kids read your book? Yeah, two out of three. <laughs> <laughs> and what are their responses to it? Because, again, mom writing a book. That's one of those things. How do they respond to it? Um, you know, it's funny. Um, do you have kids? Jill? Yes, I have three. Okay, so you'll maybe you'll understand this. Mine are 19, 15, and 12. Okay, I have 25, 17, and 15. Okay. So very similar. Okay. Um, they, you know, with the same mom, everything, they have completely different personalities. Of course. Completely. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, that's why probably hence the two out of three. Yeah. One's the, um, well, I don't want to talk about them too much, but meanwhile, um, I, I feel like the students or my friends or people, well, I'll tell you what happened, Bill. I, I printed 10 books off of KDP, Kindle Direct Publishing. Yes. Um, way back when and gave one to a student said, check it out and let me know what you think. 
And she loved it and said, oh, my goodness. Yeah. My friends want a copy. Can I get a copy? Right. And I thought, oh, my God, good that they're asking me to read. <laughs> yeah, which is great. Yeah, so that made me really excited. So I get students come and ask me for it. I was The other day I was at the post office, and a woman I didn't even know said, I heard about this book. Can I get a copy? And, you know, but meanwhile, my own kids kind of disinterested. <laughs> well, they're they're just not – my older son loves it, adores okay. everything I've done. Um, my middle daughter, she's probably given a, a lot of the advice I'm transferring from her. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And my um, my youngest son will support no matter what I do. Okay. Yeah. So. so that, and that's, that's really interesting because mine are the same way. One in three are carbon copies, carbon copies of each other. And number two, he'll listen to me, but he won't follow through with what I tell him. So, uh, yeah. so I, yeah. I, I, I get that. I think it's a middle child thing, but you didn't hear that from me. Um, <laughs> they all have different personalities. All different personalities. Sure. So yeah. um, you write in the book, for example, I when I was 12 years old, I wanted more than anything to be a teacher. It was a great dream, but it wasn't realistic. My family had few college savings. I needed to have extra income to pay for all my peripheral college things, but I wanted to succeed. So I got a job selling makeup door to door at age 13 and worked on getting good grades. So you had a roadblock that you overcame. Yeah. Why? Okay. This, and this is going to relate to, to a butter knife here. So give me a second. Okay. Okay. So you had this dream. Your dream was to over, uh, to go to college. Family didn't have the money. You did everything you could. You took that step to go in that direction. Why were you able to take that step for something so difficult, but yet you had such a hard time going into the kitchen to pick up the dishes and do them? <laughs> Is it because complicated things we we can justify doing and not and, and maybe not doing them well, and it's the easy things that we just don't want to deal with it because they may we may consider them beneath us. Maybe it's kind of that field that I was talking about um, way in the beginning that that protective, that instantaneous okay. moment of protection when your brain says, um, don't touch that fire. Right. right. Or don't get up. This is going to be harmful. Maybe if I perceive getting that degree four years from now, my, I'm, I'm not sending my brain the signal that that's going to be harmful. Okay. So I'm able to, that force field isn't as strong. So I'm able to kind of work through it. That, that would be my guess. Okay. Cause I, I find that interesting that you were able to overcome this roadblock to be able to do that. But again, in my, in my guesstimation with, we've only talked now for 37 minutes is that that was something that was more powerful for you that wasn't going to stand in your way that you were going to do that? Well, and then I was very fortunate too. When I was young, I, you know, my dad was a big inspiration. Okay. He helped push me along. And with the dishes on the couch, there's no one. <laughs> <laughs> what? The kids aren't going to do them for you? I mean, um, <laughs> Are yours? <laughs> well, no, I do the dishes, and I and I I really get that because I I I see that, and I'm one of these people. However, I will put it off as long as I can, but yet I can't go to bed with dishes in the sink. They have to be done before I go to bed. That's great because it always makes for a better morning, right? Well, exactly, and 
because of the time difference that my wife and I leave for work, I don't get the text message going, why can't I find this? Well, because you can find it. It's in the dishwasher pulled out. There it is. It's done. So <laughs> that's a good thing. And I right. maybe I've been trained. I don't know. That could be also one of the things that has happened over here. But again, I understand this idea. If I have to go into work or I have to deal with a colleague or I have to do something, yet I know that I can see in my mind that if I get over this hurdle, I can do it. Right. But it's always so difficult to make that first move or that first step to be able to have that conversation or deal with that discipline or whatever it may be. Right. Well, go ahead. No. So how how would you do that when you're dealing with another person? I mean, a lot of the stuff we've talked about is when we're dealing within. But how do you deal with it when you're dealing with another person? When there's something that you don't want to do. Right. Um. Well, I had mentioned at one point, I said, pre-play your day, but so a couple things. Um, if it's very upsetting to you, you don't try to fix it immediately. Obviously, kind of put some space between you and, and that person. Um, there was something I wanted to say, and I'm losing my train of thought. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. <laughs> um, with Oh, I know what it was. With the other person, you when you're doing the morning meditation, say, I know I'm going into a meeting at okay. 11 a.m. and it's not going to go well. I have to say something, do something. This is just going to be ugly. Okay. Right? So I just lay there and I picture it going the best way it feasibly can. What does that look like? Okay. What do I say? What? Do, how do they respond? Um, you know, what am I wearing? What are they wearing? I'm, I'm really, I get very technical in that kind of visualization. Okay. And I'm telling you, when I go into that meeting, it, I, it, it's, you would be surprised at how closely it mimics your visual visualization. But I think it kind of helps to preplay it in your head because you preplay your reactions to things. That's true. That's very true. Yeah. And I, and one thing I've learned in my, in my, uh, my years of teaching that that's something that students can't do well anymore they can't see what a consequence would be from an action that they do and you ask them about that okay if you do this what's mom and dad going to say and there are kids that don't see that but yet people of our age or older know what mom and dad's reactions were going to be Absolutely. I think. And then kids, too. All the kids quit their jobs. Right. No one. All employers are having trouble hiring people with stick-to-itiveness. Especially because. in this area. Yes. Yeah. So, I, I, again, how do you how do you get that through? I mean, it's great reading the book. Mm -hmm. But when a kid has it. So great example. They quit their job because they're having difficulty with the job. But it could be just with a staff member, whatever it may be. They don't try to overcome it. They just quit. Right. Right. Well, I think to, well, I will tell you the truth with myself. I've learned a lot being a parent okay. in the school of life. And I think anytime, I think it's just natural that we want to protect our children. Right. And shield them from, you know, especially if you had a difficult childhood, mm -hmm. I, I figured this out, um, that there is a difference between a big trauma and a little trauma. Okay. 
So I used to think whenever my child would be upset about something, I would, my brain would immediately go to big trauma. Right. I have to protect them. I can't let them feel forlorn or lonely or anxious or sad. Like I have to make this better. But I've come to learn along the way that little trauma is what makes the child grow. Even if it's my 20 year old that I say, I'm not giving you money for gas anymore. Sorry. Right. Um, Then they kind of, then I, I remember doing it with my older son and he was so upset and he called me a couple of days later and said, thank you. Mm-hmm. I would have never tried to stand on my own two feet had you not have done that. Right. So that big T, little T was pivotal for me. And that's really a great way to put it because um, another thing that I'm noticing with today's youth, um, teenagers, is that they – they're worried about reactions. If they do something or someone does something to them, so on and so forth, how do I get revenge? And I look at them. My response is 10, 15 years from now, are you going to remember this incident? Because I guarantee you can't. Because honestly, the age I am right now, 53, I barely remember when I was in high school. Right. And it honestly hasn't affected my life that drastically. let alone what I remember doing last week. So I wouldn't hold on to that because a lot of kids hold grudges for that reason because they feel that this is that life-changing moment and they're just trying to hold on to it. Another thing that I've noticed too, which frustrates me, which um, you talk about the whole idea of self-love, that kids don't have it, so they're looking for it in someone else. Yes. And these kids that make these relationships in seventh, eighth, ninth, and 10th grade, these are the persons I'm going to be with forever because they're, they're struggling. And even though that relationship may be bad because kids learn relationship skills from their parents. Yes. And in today's society, that may not be a good thing. True. And that's when the thing is, and how do you step in and say, no, what you need to realize, this is a mistake, but how do you do it without offending them? That's the hard part. It is really hard. And I think when kids, how old are your kids now? 14, 19? 19, 15, and 12. Okay. Um, I think they reach a, a kind of a pivotal age. Now, again, this is just a mom who knows whether right. I'm right or wrong. Hey, um, I, I'll give you as much credit as everybody else. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing. Hey, you wrote a book. I didn't. So there. You're you're the expert in this right now. Okay. Anyway, I think um, some of their decisions we may not like. Right. Right? But they are trying to exercise their independence. So, again, it's that communication. I, well, for example, when I was in high school, I wanted to date this boy. And my dad said, no way, no way, no way. Are are you kidding? That's, I didn't want to date anyone else. And then finally it got to a point where he was like, okay, go ahead. Right. And then, you know, I broke up with him. So what I tell my kids is when they, when I feel like they're making a poor decision in a relationship or something like that. Um, just so you know, this, you're reflecting the value that you put on yourself. Oh, very good. You do, yeah. You do what you're going to do, yeah. <laughs> you know, but I value you more than you value. You. Right. And they don't, I think, yeah, I and think they don't better. understand that. Yeah. So, but I think that when you take the supportive approach, then like, okay, you do whatever, but I value you more than that. So, you know, just think about it. They, they do think about it. 
Okay. And I, and I agree <laughs> yeah. with you on that. Also mm-hmm. in the book, later on in the book, you say, and I, I think this is interesting. What if I am not smart enough to be successful? Did and you it, see the quote by Stephen Hawking? Yes. Intelligence is the ability to adapt to change. Yes. What if I'm not smart enough to be successful? And then the lesson is everyone is smart enough. Everyone. So everyone is. <laughs> what is the and then the problem is there's different definitions of successful for different people. True. And one of the problems we have in today's society, again, goes back to social media. Yeah. Because we see what's online as being successful. And in reality, that is whoever it is putting on their best face possible. And again, being able to make you understand, yes, you're working 40 hours a week. You have a loving family. You're putting food on the table. You're putting a roof over their heads and you have some disposable cash. Is that successful? For a lot of people, it is. For other people, it's not enough. I think success it should be very individualized. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, for one person, it, that sounds tremendously successful to right. me. I think is if you, you know, have a family and you're taking care of your family and you're a good person and, you know what I mean, and you are trying to raise your children right to put them out as good citizens of the world. And I mean, how could you be more successful than that? But I think. You know, too many of us think that the success is this really, really large amount of money. Right. And I, you're right. I think it's a lot of pressure for kids, and they feel like I need to make all this money right now. And they don't understand that even the people that make the ton of money, how hard and how long they had to work to get there. Right, because right. It, it's one of these instant gratification things. Yeah. That these kids want because, and again, parents, society, or whatever it is, everything is at their fingertips. I mean, I mean, this is a very old analogy, but if I'm looking for something right now, all I have to do is go online and Google it. Thirty yeah. years ago, I had to go to an encyclopedia and figure out what letter group it fit in, so I could actually look it up to figure out what it was. You didn't have immediate gratification. You had to do it. Today's a lot different. Are the kids that we're raising today, can we compare them to the way we were raised? Or is it just a whole different set of standards? A completely different set of standards. Completely. And in a way, I feel very um, sadly for the kids our day and age. Because think about it. If we didn't know um, who... You know, it was Eddie Van Halen or something. What band he played for, where his hometown was. Right. right? We couldn't, maybe we couldn't get to the library or maybe no one knew or maybe I couldn't find that in an encyclopedia. And maybe one day that comes up. Yeah. And I think, oh my gosh, I know where Eddie Van Halen lives. Right. Right. (laughs) But there's no mystery anymore. Everything is right there. That's that's a good point. That is. It's kind of sad for them. Um. So I, I veered you off the book a little bit. We were talking okay. about, we were talking about everything else. I told you we would. <laughs> uh, which, which is kind of entertaining. I actually kind of like this. Maybe we should do a, a, a regular segment on child rearing. I know. Um, I kind of like, I like your radio voice and you're fun to talk well, to. Well, thank you. Uh, so what is the one thing you want your audience, your the reader, to get from your book? Um. 
that you're going to be okay. A. Okay. Uh, definitely, you're 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 always going to be okay, and I want you to try that one thing, that one. Pick up that phone call and call that person that you haven't talked to in five years because you're afraid that they don't like you. Okay. Try that one thing. Try if you're that child, teenage child, and you're angry because you're the only one not invited to so-and-so's birthday party. Okay. Go and turn the other cheek, per se, and be nice to that person and see how that feels. Go try that one. Just try that one thing that you don't want to do. Push yourself through one time. And what's weird, Bill, is you start to that the the butter knife becomes a habit. You start every time something is challenging you, you push yourself to step into it. And it life just becomes a lot easier, I think. And and the way that you look at it, the way you explain it, this makes so much sense that I'm surprised it's taken someone this long to put it down on paper the way you have. Thank you for saying that. I I really am because it, it's just everything we deal with is in this book and we're able to relate to it. It's not these these big, um, grandiose examples. It's stuff that we deal with on a regular basis. Like the one thing you say here, do something that reminds you of a time when you felt most connected with to your inner spirit. A walk in the mountains, a bubble bath, the right song. And then you talk about one of your treasured students who wrote a song that involved living with the ghost of you. And this, Mm -hmm. again, we can relate to these these times. For example, my one of the best places I can go and I do it multiple times a year is I go to the beach and I'm in the Outer Banks. I go in the summer. I go in the I go in the fall and occasionally I go in the winter three different times a year because there's three different types of experiences and I deal with each one in a different way. And that's my way of unwinding, relaxing and recharging and connecting back to Bill and connecting back to me and connecting back to my family. So, again, this is this is actually very well done. Um, again, I can't say I'm looking forward to it because I have mine right here in oh. front of me. <laughs> I'll have to get you a hard copy. But I think a lot of people, I want an autograph too, but I think okay. I think a lot of people will be able to relate to this book and um, be able to talk about it and be able to share it. Now, you said the book is going to be released December 1st. Yes. Amazon, um, Barnes & Noble, and um, other local bookstores once it is actually published. Now, well, yeah, I have to make sure right now I'm working with Barnes and Noble okay. and okay. they're having trouble getting it ordered. So I, I have a little glitch with them right now. I'm hoping that I'll be there on the first. So now, yeah. I, I, I'm going to ask you this because this is a new thing to me. Are you self-publishing this or are you actually publishing it through someone? No, I am self-publishing. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which 30 years ago, if you would, someone would have told you you were going to self-publish a book, what would you have said? No, no, forget it, never. <laughs> because yes. back then it was very intimidating. Now, yes. now, now everyone does it. But I, I, you know, I will have to tell you a few. What did Shakespeare used to say? If you're going to enter a fight, make sure you win. Yes. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> uh, 
So I, I think that's why it's taken me three years is I've just been worked so hard to get it where I wanted it to be. Well, to I do th- everything right. Once this one gets out. And I think, like you said, if you, if there's going to be a series of books mm-hmm. and um, it's going to be interesting. Now I know you don't know yet, mm-hmm. but are you planning and in your mind right now, as as you're imagining what it would be like, are you planning on doing a speaking tour with the book once it's released? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I am. I I think um, for some reason that's where I feel comfortable. Okay. It's just talking to other people, and I, I think that I'm you know getting to a point in my life that if I can make others feel better and. In my uh, speeches, I feel the way I feel about books is if you read one sentence and it makes a difference in your life, wasn't it worthwhile reading that book? Yes. So I'm, I'm hoping that to give my audiences, you know, the one thing that they say, oh, I can do that. I can turn around and like I said, I might make a series. And so the first one I kind of nickname it bkt1 okay but but bkt i think i'll give them all water analogies and bkt2 will be bkt1 is almost like not drowning okay (laughs) and bk2 bkt2 will be floating okay you know and then swimming and so on where's treading water come into play (laughs) well maybe floating and treading water are the same okay yeah okay yeah yeah so yeah, so you got to get back to treading water, and before you can get to the start on that mountain. Right? There you go. Well, <laughs> uh, Doctor Karen, thank you very much for being a part of the program tonight. I really appreciate it, and uh, good luck to you. And I know I we'll keep in it. touch, but I'd love to have you back in the program once the book is officially released, okay. and after you have some response from the uh, reading public on how everything has gone. Yeah, I had such a great time talking to you, and I'd love to do that. And yeah, we'd be a great team. Well, you have a, you have a great night, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you very much. Have a good night too. Uh-huh. All right, you're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Doctor Karen Krofcheck from the book The Butter Knife Theory, here online with yours truly, Bill Alexander. Um, she is from Southwestern Pennsylvania. Really nice to be able to talk to someone that basically puts it so simply. Um, it's a great analogy. Being able to cut through whatever issue you have hers was washing dishes mine's cutting through butter same thing but again it's a great way to think about it so i'm glad you were able to join us on the program and again a big thank you to our new uh, tv uh venue out there we're now on cu tv which is channel 17 in the uh, atlantic broadband system and unfortunately i don't remember the channel number in armstrong but once we get that figured out we'll let you know again thank you very much and of course you're watching us on fayette tv channel 77 on the atlantic broadband system throughout fayette county you're also listening us through the mon valley on wmck.fm and you're also listening to us streaming online at italknet.com we just got uh, added to google podcasts we just got added to uh was it cashbox.fm and uh, a handful of other ones out there and of course we've always been on apple's um, itunes so again thank you very much for participating in the program Go forget to check out my new Facebook page entitled Online with Bill Alexander, and you can be part of the family. So thank you very much. You guys have a great one. We'll talk to you next time. Trust me, I speak English really well. We'll talk to you next time here online with yours truly. 
Bill Alexander. we become Central Ohio's most trusted team of orthopedic experts? We focus on what matters most, our patients. At Orthopedic One, we know we're only at our best when we're helping you get better. And every day, your commitment to overcoming pain and injury inspires and moves us. That's why we bring our best every day to earn your trust. Find a physician near you at orthopedicone.com. If you've been a renter, you know it's stressful to find the perfect place. But Zillow Rentals make it easy. They have filters for pretty much everything. So you can find a rental that's big enough for entertaining your friends, but small enough they won't crash all weekend. Find your sweet spot on ZillowRentals.com. We're moving in a new direction, moving forward, and moving beyond smoking. We are Altria, and our companies are leading the way in moving adult smokers away from cigarettes by taking action to transition millions toward potentially less harmful choices as we move from being known as a tobacco company to being recognized as a tobacco harm reduction company. Altria is moving beyond smoking. Find out how at altria.com.